Turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going, for those of you that are visitors, um, we've started going through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jimmy has done an excellent job. By the way, let me also say, if you're visiting for the first time today, come back next week. (laughs) Because you really will hear a much better scenario. He's a great preacher. Um, Jimmy opened it and, and kind of showed us what Jesus was doing, how Matthew laid it out with the Sermon on the Mount, um, consolidating Dietrich, or Dietrich. No, he's not Jesus. Consolidating Jesus' teachings into, into a lengthy sermon. And then John last week was talking about it, and I thought he did such a fantastic job. He said, you know, Jesus opens it with the Beatitudes, the different attitudes of the heart, and then he takes six different passages from the Old Testament and says, you've heard that it was, you've heard this about it. And I'm going to flesh it out some more. And uh, I want to, I want to just go through that a little bit this morning to set the stage for what we're going to talk about. So we're going to start in Matthew 5. We're going to read 17 through 20 and then jump to 27 through 30. So if you're there at Matthew 5, uh, starting in verse 17, think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Jumping to verse 27. And he starts with one of those, ye have heard that it hath been said. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. But I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee. That one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. All right, some preliminary thoughts. The Sermon on the Mount is a description, is a word picture, is a constitution, if you will, of what he expects the citizens in this kingdom to look like. Um, Every country that I know on earth, every kingdom that I know, has an expectation of what they plan, what they want their citizens to be. And Jesus is no different. If you're going to be a citizen in my kingdom, this is what you're going to look like. And then he goes on and he compares to the folks that are listening in that moment. He says, by the way, the Pharisees that you guys look at as holy, because they were considered the standard of holiness. The Apostle Paul says, I was a Pharisee, and concerning the law, I was blameless, and yet I was in sin and needed a Savior. He says to them, your righteousness has got to exceed theirs. And then he goes, as he goes through these six of these statements, he, he takes the statement itself. He doesn't nullify it. He doesn't throw it out. He says, this is the statement that you've heard from way back. Here's the underlying reality. Here's what I expect of my citizens now. Jimmy, how do you keep this thing in place? You know, I don't have any tape, so if you find a piece of tape, that'd be great. Um, all right, so... That, is, that was a preliminary thoughts I wanted to lay out beforehand because I think some of that stuff is necessary for you to really get what the sermon is about. Jumping now to verse 27, 
You can come on up. I knew that was going to be an issue, but I didn't know how to deal with it. So fix it, please. All right. I have, I, I tried to keep it simple. And I told my dad when we were talking about it, I said, Dad, the problem is, is and when you're, when you're trying to deal with Scripture, you pull on one thread and a whole bunch of, you know, if you, if you have a, a rug and somebody pulls on it, and other stuff comes with it. And I said, how do you wiggle that one thread out and talk on it without dragging a whole bunch of other stuff with it? He said, keep it simple. So I have three points from the text this morning. I want to go over them first, and then we'll go back and, and uh, fill them out. Number one, God views lust, which I'm going to call adultery of the heart. He views lust as sin, just like physical adultery. Number two, God sees lust as such an enemy to us and to our relationship with him that he says, do whatever it takes to overcome it. And then point three, God calls us to live victoriously over lust. All right. So, um, first point, God views lust as sin, just like physical adultery. The question immediately is, what is lust? Now, most of us sitting in the room would say, well, we kind of know what it is. It's interesting, uh, when I try to define it, really, um, what it boils down to is an intense desire for that which is not yours. Matter of fact, if you go back to the Ten Commandments, um, in Exodus 20, you can turn there if you want. I'm going to read two verses from Exodus 20. When, he, when God has given them the Ten Commandments, he gives them the thou shalt not commit adultery one in verse 14. But then when he goes to verse 17, he says, last commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Coveting is desiring something that's not yours as well. And there's a sense and there's a lot of similarity between those two concepts. So for the sake of what we're talking about today, lust being an intense desire for something that isn't yours. And in today's world, lust, I think for the most of us, we define it sexually. Um, an intense desire for a person that does not belong to you. Now, the, the average person reading this would say, this doesn't make any sense. And I'll tell you, I'll just give you an illustration as to why it doesn't make sense. It's an obvious one. Uh, if, if I go to work tomorrow and I'm driving down the road and I see some pretty young thing running beside the road and I lust after her. And I come home tonight, tomorrow night, and I say to my wife, sweetheart, I, I have to confession to make. I, I lusted after this lady that I saw today. I need to ask your forgiveness. And, and she forgives me, and there's probably some, some pain in it. She, doesn't, she wishes that wouldn't have happened. But supposing that I would have said to her, sweetheart, I have a confession to make. I was out today, and I saw this young lady, and I picked her up, and we went to her house, and I spent the afternoon with her, and I need to confess that. Will you forgive me? That's an entirely different scenario. It really is. Anyone in this room, it's, it's, not a, it's a no-brainer. That is obvious. There's going to be a great deal more consequences to one than the other. So why then, why does Jesus put so much emphasis on this thing inside of our head that doesn't seem to affect anyone? James 1 says, uh, verse 13, uh, it says, don't say of God that God is tempting me with sin, for God cannot be tempted with sin, and he doesn't tempt any man. But every man, listen carefully, is tempted 
when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then verse 15 says, Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Now, if you're an eight-year-old and you're memorizing that, when you hear death, you hear body laying on the ground. But death is much bigger than a body laying on the ground. Uh, You get married one day and you discover that death can occur in your marriage sometimes without the guys especially really even knowing it happened one day you you come home from work and your wife says I don't love you anymore and you say what how did that happen it happened because death is separation and separation occurs over time sometimes not just in an instant so God looks at it and he says this thing that seems good feels right Proverbs says There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is a way of death. This thing that feels right in our minds as men, it feels good. It's something that we want to do. goes somewhere that we don't even sometimes realize. It goes where we don't want it to go, really. And so he looks at it and he says, it's always leading to sin. It's always leading away from me. It's always leading away from what I want for you. Point two. I'm going to uh, read through uh, 29 and 30. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body be cast into hell. God sees lust as such an enemy that he says in this passage, do whatever it takes to overcome it. Now, I have never, ever heard a preacher say, if you have to, cut your hand off. I have heard preachers say, that's not what he meant. I am not going to say to you today, cut your hand off, dig your eye out if you have to. I'm just going to tell you, that's what Jesus said. And I don't quite know what to do with it, quite frankly. I think he means it. It's such a big deal to him that if that's what it takes... He says, I'd rather your body be cut apart and you get to heaven with me and be a real kingdom uh, citizen. I don't, I don't think that's what we need. I don't know that we need to go there, but I'm just telling you, it's a serious thing from his perspective. All right. I'm going to chase a rabbit for a little bit. I even put in my notes, rabbit trail. <laughs> I set up the rabbit trail ahead of time just to try to keep it on track in the rabbit trail. Why is Jesus so fierce about this? All right. So this is my rabbit trail. If you have not figured out yet, if you've been here for the series so far in Sermon on the Mount, if you haven't figured out yet that this business of walking in holiness is a big deal to Jesus, then you've kind of missed the whole point. And it's, there's, a, there's a part of it that would be, you know, you could say, well... Uh, Jesus wants me to be holy, so I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to do all these things. Again, if that's what you think, you're missing the point. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, if you want living faith, simply obey the simple commands of Christ. And then he goes on to flesh that out. And what he says is this. You can't do it on your own. You can obey the commands of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But what you will discover is that as you obey, and he gives you the power... What comes out on the other side is living faith. And then you begin to talk to people about Jesus, Jimmy, because you tell them, man, you're not going to believe what just happened. I just did what he said. 
and he honored it. I'm not talking about, I did what he said, I prayed a prayer, and he healed me. I'm talking about when you start realizing that Jesus actually begins to transform your life. The things that you think become different. What you focus on becomes different. That's what he's talking about here. I want to go through a couple of passages just to back me up, if you will. 1 Peter um, 1, 13 through 16. If you want to turn there, there's a couple of them I want to look at here real quick. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now listen, don't listen to it from the, I can get out of this if I want to. Listen to it from the perspective of the heart of Peter talking. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That is to take, take captive your thoughts. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 14. As obedient children... Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or all manner of living. It's not a joke. He's not fooling around. Jesus, in a matter of fact, if you go back and look at, just, just do a study sometime of when people came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. He didn't say, well, hey, that's a good idea. If you follow me, life will go good, etc. It'll be nice for you. He said... Uh, I don't think you want to. I don't have anywhere to sleep tonight. Um, you have to leave your parents. He, he didn't make it easy for them. But when they did follow him, he was fully on board with them. And I think that's what he's trying to say. I'm going to do Hebrews 12, 14. I've got about six passages there, but I'm just going to do um, Hebrews 12, 14. says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God. Now, there was one other passage in Romans 8. We, we, we quote this one a lot, but... Um, we don't quite get to verse 3. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then it says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. We couldn't do it. We could not live up to His righteousness. God, sending His only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Now listen, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He expects holiness out of His children. Think in this room, most of us would agree with that, that God, that Jesus expects us to live holy lives as his disciples. If he expects that, and if he's so fierce about this, he must see something in this that we're missing. Because quite frankly, if that wasn't in there, most of us as men would say things like, well, it's, as long as it doesn't bother anyone else, I can think the thoughts that I want to think. I've, I've had that thought. It was not hurting anybody. I can keep going here. But you read the New Testament, and it never gives you an out. It never gives you an out. Paul says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It just doesn't give that as an option. So, let's go back. What is God's view of lust? If he has a problem with it, what is his view of it? All right? Go back to the Garden of Eden. I want to tell you something. I changed my notes sitting up there at about 9.15 because I saw something i never seen before. You know what I was going to say? I was going to say that when God made Adam and Eve, when he brought Eve to Adam... Adam said, whoa, man. But you know, that's not what he said. When God brings Adam, or brings Eve to Adam, Adam says, that's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. He didn't see her as an object. He saw her as a woman. He saw her as a whole being. That's a big difference. From the beginning, when God put them together, when he put Adam and Eve together as a team, Adam did not look at his wife as an object of lust. 
but he still had sexual delight in her and sexual desire toward her. That means then that what God created as sexual desire in a man was good originally. That's an important point to know. That's what God sees. That's what his ideal is. A sexual desire, a delight in your wife, a delight in the person that he puts you with that doesn't get distorted. And then Satan comes along in the garden, tempts them, they fall, and the first thing they do is realize they're naked and start running from God. I think the perversion occurred right there. And what has happened ever since is that what we have created in us by God, that was good originally. We spend the rest of our lives, if we're not diligently trying to stop it, we spend the rest of our lives destroying it. And our minds are destroyed in the process. Second thing, that we, that's, one, that's one perspective from God. The other one is um, that lustful thoughts create mental patterns that will not allow Christ-centered living. So I, I was thinking about illustrations for this, and um, my boys gave me an illustration. They didn't know it. But if your kids play with Legos and you have more than one kid, this will happen in your house. One of them will build a beautiful object. doesn't matter what it is. Another one will come along and redesign it. While the first one isn't looking. And when the second one sees the redesigned object, he will be very ticked at his little brother. At least if your house is anything like mine. All right? When God made us, he made us God-centered. If you imagine our mind as a, I like a wagon wheel because it's big enough to think about. Imagine one of those old-fashioned wagon wheels with the hub in the middle and the spokes going out. If you imagine your mind as a wheel, God made us with the intent that the center of our mind turned around him. And as we lived our lives out, when we had to go out on a spoke, if you will, when you had to go out and think about your job, or you had to go out and think about whatever it was, you go out, you do what needs to be done, and you come back, and you're centered. Isaiah says, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is centered on you. And you got a wagon wheel with a hub in the center. The bumps in the road might be bumpy, but it still rolls as smoothly as it can possibly roll. But what we've done is we've taken that hub... And then, you know, if you imagine a big wheel like this, instead of keeping it God-centered, we drag it out here on a spoke, quite frankly, in today's world, on a spoke called pornography, a spoke called lust. And we put a big old hub out here. And that wheel will roll for a little bit. Boom. And when the hub gets to the bottom, what happens? It won't roll anymore. The wheel won't work. And so you get stymied in your life. You can't get anywhere because your mind is not centered on him. The problem is, God can see that, we don't. I read a book years ago called An Affair of the Mind, in which this lady wrote it, and she was, her husband was addicted to pornography for probably 15 years. And she said he went from a brilliant engineer to a man who sat in the corner doing nothing. And she went to doctors and said, trying to figure out what's going on, and one, finally a doctor said to her, she, he said, um, let me describe your husband's brain for you. This is what has happened to his mind. When he was a brilliant engineer, all the parts of it functioned. But he said as he began to track along the path, the neural pathway, and by the way, this is all scientifically validated now. In the last maybe 10 years, all of this has actually been shown on whatever they call those machines that you can look at your mind with. Um, He said, your husband's brain is smooth with one giant gully in it. 
where his thoughts just go around and around and around. And he said, trying to get his mind out of that gully and to think any other thought is almost impossible. Because like a wagon rut, he's just worn it in. And he said, with pornography as much as anything, because of the sexual temptation and the, and the hormones that go with that whole thing, it wears holes in our minds, it wears tracks in our minds in a way that nothing else really does, with the exception of um, other addictions. Like, it's really a chemical addiction is what it amounts to. So uh, it's the same thought pattern that, that addicts have as well. Now, if you were the creator of humans and you saw them intent on destroying themselves, building something into their life in which they can't think, which they can't put their thoughts back on you and center their mind on you so that you can honor them and give them peace and and allow them to be the citizens. Would you be angry? I would be angry. If someone messed up my Lego building, I would be very angry. You don't know what you're talking about. I built that thing. I know how it works. That's why God gets ticked about it. All right. Last point, but I'm not done yet, so don't get, don't get happy yet. I'm going to go back and read 29 and 30, and then I want to jump ahead and read verse 48 as well. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of the members should perish, and not that thy whole body be cast into hell. Verse 48, be therefore perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, right before the service, I went into the bathroom, and the, um, the little foot on the bottom of the door was holding the door open. So I bent over to lift the foot to shut the door. And when I did, my eye smacked into the baby changing station in there. And I thought, oh, that's what it means to gouge your eye out. <laughs> and then I, I'm, this is no joke, I almost caught my hand in the door on the way out. Okay, so... He's asked us, he's called us to live holy lives. Now, I, wanna, I do want to say this. John, if you read in 1 John, he says, we have an advocate with the Father. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and his name is Jesus. A concert pianist does not start out as a concert pianist. He starts out as somebody who wants to play the piano, and he makes lots of mistakes. But he never loses sight of the goal. The goal is I want to be a concert pianist. I want to make as few mistakes as possible. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not, in this, in this scenario, I'm not talking about trying to live good enough to please God. I'm talking about living up to, um, Paul says, make, or Peter says, make your calling and election sure. And Paul says, check yourself, evaluate yourself. Are you really in the faith? I want you to look at your life this morning and say, am I, is my heart to follow him with everything I've got? Is it something that means more to me than life? Is my purity in my thought life, does it mean more to me than my right hand? If I lose my right hand, I'm out of a job. I can't do anything. If it means more to me than my entire livelihood, it had better be important to me. All right, so the problem then is... We're carnal, we're sold under sin, we are bent in the wrong direction. We have a problem, and that is our fallen nature. We can't get away from it. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, if you've already given your heart to him, you have a new nature in you. Unfortunately, however, as long as you live in this body, you also are stuck with the fallen nature. And it is our responsibility 
to avail ourselves of the Holy Spirit so that the new nature um, through the power of the Holy Spirit dominates the fallen nature and we live in holiness as much as possible. Okay, so the first thing we need to do, if we're going to identify the problem and deal with it, we have to figure out what it is that the problem is. And the first problem, the first problem of all, is our own fallen nature. There's not a man in here who could honestly say, I have no desire to sin. Nothing in me ever wants to sin. I don't, I don't think there's anyone in here that could honestly say that. We've all heard Jimmy through the years say, I can't wait to the day when I meet Jesus and I will no longer have a desire to sin. That's a big deal. For the true follower of Jesus, the man who desires to live above sin, it, 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 it's a weight on us that we can't get away from that. So the first thing we have to do is identify the problem, which is our fallen nature. And then the second thing is um, recognize that sin is easily accessible. Now, I want to say this. You can move yourself to the backwoods of Montana and not have anyone or anything around you for 400 miles. The problem is your sin nature goes with you, and you will still struggle with following the Lord. You will still struggle with holiness, with righteousness. Uh, I think it's been proven fairly categorically through history when the monks and the hermits would pull away into the mountains and they would try to isolate themselves from all worldliness. It didn't work. What you have to do is learn how to walk with him in a world that does not like you walking with him. Now, um, having said that, I want to I talk just, just for just a little bit about um, what we all know. I remember, I think it was in 1997, I was at a homeschool conference, and there was a speaker there, and he stood up in front of everybody. He was a a counselor. And he stood up behind the podium, and he said, listen, he said, I'm begging you, don't bring the Internet into your house. He said, I have so many men and so many women and so many sons and daughters coming to my office right now. That was 20 years ago. Coming to my office, they got on the Internet, they got into pornography, and their lives are destroyed, their marriages are destroyed, their families are destroyed, and they come to me, and they don't know what to do. And I have to dig them, help them dig back out of this mess that they're in. And he said, just don't bring it in. Now, the fact of the matter is, if the Internet had gone quietly away, maybe we could do that, but it hasn't. Our world runs on it now. And the truth is, it's a wonderful tool. And I've been thinking about it for these weeks that I've been pondering this message. And one of the things that struck me was, so is fire. Uh, I heat with wood at my house. And I love heating with wood. It's wonderful. While the rest of you guys are shivering in your heat pump laden 65 degree houses, I'm toasting myself by an an 80 degree fireplace. And laughing at you, quite honestly. (laughs) But... That fire is only useful when it's carefully monitored. I check my chimney periodically. Sometimes I don't, and then I uh, have a chimney fire in the middle of the night, and I remember to check it the next year. Um, If you do not maintain that fire, it is your worst enemy. If you don't keep the chimney clean, if you don't ensure that there's nothing touching it that could burn, it will burn your house down and kill you and your family. That's a true statement. There's nothing you can do about it. If you want the wood stove, you have to take the risk. If you want the wood stove and you're willing to take the risk, then you're a fool 
if you don't minimize the risk. And the truth of the matter is, is that's the way the internet is in our world today. It is systematically destroying home after home after home, person after person, man and woman in today's world. It is wiping out the church in a lot of ways. And we don't know what to do about it because we know that it's useful. And so we keep going and we try not to talk about it. Now, I want to tell you, um, I think this is where if you don't want to cut your hand off, and I'm fine with that, I think it's an acceptable thing to say from this verse that Jesus is saying, if you have a problem with something that is taking you down, Maybe it's your smartphone, maybe it's your cell phone, maybe it's your, your, your TV, your computer. I don't know what it is in your life. But if it is something that you know is destroying you, get rid of it. Now, I've heard people say to me, I, I have an old flip phone. And I'll tell you the truth, in front of everybody, I carry the flip phone because I don't trust myself. And maybe you say, well, good gracious, you, know, you should be strong enough. No, I'm not. I don't trust myself. It's one more thing that I don't have to think about. I don't have to worry about that phone betraying me. If you were a, uh, if you were addicted to smoking cigarettes and you walked around and you said to me, hey, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit. And I say, well, what's the pack of cigarettes in your pocket? Well, I don't need to get rid of those. Baloney. You can't do both at the same time. So I'm saying to you this morning, I'm not saying that you should. What I'm saying to you is Jesus is saying, if it's taking you down and you know it's taking you down... Get rid of it. It's not worth it. It is not worth living holy to have something that the world considers to be essential. It's not worth it. Some people do not want a a wood stove in their house because the risk is not worth it to them. Along with that, I want to say this. If you have it, when we were at the homeschool conference this year, and there's a group called Covenant Eyes, um, there was a guy by the name of Sam Black that just he, he just spoke to us for about an hour about what they do. And I want to tell you something. Blocking does not work on your computer. I'll tell you how I'm protected right now. My wife said to me about four years ago, she said to me, Micah, I can see everything you look at on your computer. There were some things that I had been looking at that I didn't want her to see. She said, I can see everything you're looking at. And she said, I've looked at everything that you're looking at. She said, I think some of those things you should not be looking at. She wasn't angry. She wasn't mean-spirited. She didn't scream at me. She just sat me down one night and said that to me. Man, that got my attention. I know there's ways that I could probably try to protect myself from that, in that I could figure out a way to hide stuff from her. I don't want to know it. If you know how, don't tell me. It's one more thing. that I, don't, I just don't want to go there. Um, my computer that I do research on sits beside my bed at home. And mostly when I'm on the computer, it's after we've gone to bed and I'm sitting there looking up something, if I can remember what it was I was supposed to be looking up from that day. But she can go on that computer any time, day or night, and see everything that I can do, everything that I've been, everywhere I've been. That's a good way to keep you running straight is you got somebody keeping an eye on you. So this covenant eyes thing, I just want to, I want to put a plug in for them because I think it's about the only thing out there right now that will keep you. The covenant eyes thing, and I don't really understand it, I just want to, I want to tell you what I think it is that they do. They do some filtering. 
But mostly what they do is they put an app on your phone or your computer or whatever, and it monitors every place that you go, and it monitors how long you're there. And it sends it all to another computer. And from that computer, then, it gets sent to people that you choose to be your accountability partners. Three or four people, generally speaking, they get a, I think it's a monthly update on all of the things. You can also set it for your kids' um, computers or phones or whatever. And I asked them very specifically, can you hide? They said, you can't hide anything from that app. There is nothing that your kids can put on their phones. Nothing gets by that thing. You know everything where people go. The truth of the matter is, is we can't get out of the world. We're here. The only way to live righteous is to choose. Daniel and his three friends, when they got hauled off to Babylon, they said, as the scripture says, they purposed in their heart, they will not defile themselves with the king's meat. And you know what they did? If they had not been given the king's meat, they would have starved to death. That was how serious it was. But they found favor before God with the guy that was taking care of them, and he gave them beans and water to keep them alive, and God honored that. But their purpose was, I won't do it even if I have to die. And that's the same, that's the only way as men in this world today, it is the only way we're going to live is to live, is to purpose in our hearts that I am not going down that path. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care if it costs me everything I own, everything I possess. I won't do it. So that's my appeal to you. One more thing on that. I, I want to say this. Sam Black, the guy that was talking for Covenant Eyes, said this, and it was, it was an astonishing thing to me. He said, Eight-year-olds are now addicted to pornography. How is that possible? I didn't know an eight-year-old could even think those thoughts. He said, you know where it's coming from? You can do all you want to protect your child. But when the other kid on the playground has one, they're sharing. He said he knew in his, I think it was in his own community, his son got caught because one of the neighbors got, one, got a phone and shared, and the next thing you knew, the entire community was taken by that one kid's phone. I've asked my boys, if someone wants to show them something on a smartphone, come to me first. But you know what? That's hard. When you have, a, when you have another friend that says, let me show you something, and, and, and you have to say, oh, I need you to ask my dad first. What? It's hard. I hear their stories back to me, but I know what the right thing is to do, but I don't want to look like an idiot. I've asked them to do that, and I've, I think they've tried to honor it. But you, I'm going to make the appeal to you guys. Think about it when you're handing out phones. Think about it when your kids are out there. Think about it when you're not handing out phones and you say, my kid is protected. Not necessarily. Be aware of the, of the, of the battle that's out there. All right, finally. Woo, that was close. Live the solution. There is a solution. There is a way to walk in victory. And I want to tell you something. I can speak this this morning. I have had many failures in life, but I can speak this morning from the position that you can walk in victory. When I talked to Jimmy four weeks ago, you know what my first terrible fear was when I found out what I was supposed to talk about? Lord, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get blindsided by something, and I'm going to fall right before I have to give this sermon, and it's going to take all the wind out of my sails. And you know something? I don't know who's been praying for me. Not once. Not once. I have had the ability to keep on walking with Jesus. And I am so grateful this morning that I can stand before you and say, you can walk in victory. Victory is not a one-time decision that lasts for the rest of your life. Victory is, by the way, I guess Mike is gone now, but those songs were awesome this morning. I thought about it. 
Every day, it's a new day. There's new mercy for that day. And I cannot walk out to next year's victory. I can't walk out last year's victory. I can only walk out victory right now, today, with the power of Jesus in me. But I can walk it out today. And if you think you can't, if you think it's not possible, let me tell you, you can have a change of mindset. If you're down at the beach someday and you're enjoying the uh, beautiful ladies down there and somebody walks up behind you and puts a gun in your back, I guarantee you, you can stop lusting for a moment. I guarantee it. (laughs) You have to have a mindset shift. So I say that to say this. I've had numerous times in my life that I wound up in a situation where I could have fallen and one of them was really close here. Um, back before we bought the house rent, so about eight or nine years ago, we were looking for another place. And a property came up for sale. And I was on my way home from work. True story. This is me. I was on my way home from work. And I thought, I'm going to swing by there and take a look at that property. So I did. Had an old abandoned house on it. Walked in the front door. And there inside the front door was a stack of Playboy about that tall. I had never had that opportunity before. My wife didn't know I was there. Nobody knew I was there. My wife wasn't expecting me home right away. You men know this feeling. I stood there and I stared at that stack and I thought, this is the opportunity I've always been waiting for. No one will ever know, much, much less. I, my wife doesn't know. I can tell her I stopped by and visited. And then I'll come by anytime I want and I can look at more. These are thoughts going through my head. I, who want to live holy, am thinking these thoughts. And I stared at that stack, and I wanted it so bad I wanted it. I picked it up. I picked up the whole thing, and I took it out of my truck, and I set it in my truck. And I drove straight home, and I said to my wife, I said, I got something out in the truck I need to show you. And she went out. I said, I don't know what to do with it. I can't throw it away. I don't know if you can burn magazines like that. We did. But I knew better than leave them there. That was, that was a situation that I was not about to put on myself. It was more than I could handle. One other time, um, this was, <laughs> if I could be proud of a victory, this is the one I was proud of. Uh, I was about 19, 20 years old, somewhere in that vicinity. A young man with all of the, the temptations that a young man has. And, and our neighbor was leaving for, he lived about half a mile down the road from us. He was leaving for two weeks and he asked me, he said, would you take care of my dogs? Come down here in the morning, let them out for half an hour. Come in the evening, let them out for half an hour. I said, sure, no problem. He lived way back a lane. No one could see him. I go back there the first time. I go back there and I walk in the house. I let the dogs out. I walk in the house and they're on a coffee table. Boom. Two, two books laying there. One of them was a book on the uh, explosion of the Hindenburg, and the other one was a book that I'd always wanted to see. And for two weeks, I have to come down here morning and night. And I sat there in an agony. I want to look at that other book. I tell you, I learned a lot about the Hindenburg that week. <laughs> but I didn't give in. Now, the solution, very quickly, there's a couple of things, and you say, well, this solution is too easy. I'll tell you, if you're addicted to porn today, It's too easy for you. You're going to have to be serious about the fight to get over it. That's all that's to it. If you've spent your life messing your life and messing your mind up, it's going to take a long time to get it straight. But the only way to ever start changing it is to start changing it. You've got to start somewhere. First thing, confess your sin. James 5.16 says, confess our faults one to another and pray one for another that we might be healed. You have to start there.
I had to start there at age 16. Someone said to me, you need to go and confess your faults to your dad. I said, I can't do that. Uh, he'd be so mad at me. I did it, though. And I said to my dad, I want you to be my accountability partner. When I mess up, I'm going to you to tell you. So when I was down there at the neighbor's house and I wanted to look at that book, I knew no matter what I did, my conscience would not let me rest until I told my dad what happened. And that gave me the courage and the strength to keep walking straight long enough to get out of that from under that temptation. The second thing is humble yourself. Um, if, you, if you want to jump over to James, um, he, he, just, he says it so beautifully. Um, quoting from the Old Testament, chapter 4, verse 6, But he giveth more grace, talking uh, about the Lord. Wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Draw nigh to Him, and He will draw nigh to you. Humble yourself. Second thing is accept, or the third thing is accept accountability, especially if you're addicted. I promise you, there. I don't know that there is any other way out of it. Covenant Eyes has a, a program that you can go to them, and they will help you set up an accountability system. And they say it's about ninety days. If you're willing to do it, it's about ninety days to get through and break out of addiction. It's worth it, though. It's worth it no matter the humiliation, no matter any of those things. And then, this is really the big thing. Fill yourself with the Word of God. You can do all you want in your own power. If you do not, Jesus said, you cast a demon out, and you get it all cleaned up. He says, if you don't put something back in that house, the demon's going to come back with seven of his buddies, and it'll be worse than it was to begin with. Get rid of it, but if you don't fill it back with, with the Word of God, you're wasting your time. You're going to fall right back down again. Um, if you, those of you know that Phil Robertson, uh, Duck Dynasty, when he got saved at 29, he was about as bad as a person could get. And he said he spent the next two years, six nights a week, in Bible study every night with men from his church. And he said it took him two years, six nights a week in Bible study before he felt strong enough to actually walk on his own. I think we need a lot of that. All right. And then finally, cut off whatever is taking you down. I don't care what it is. If it's your smartphone, take it home, smash it. But don't throw it away. Tape it and stick it in your pocket so that you can pull it out every time you're tempted and say, look what I had to do. Do what it takes to walk in victory. And then I want to I close um, just... wasn't even sure if I should say this, but, um, but I'm going to. If For the ladies in the room today, uh, if your husband comes to you, if you're a wife and your husband comes to you and confesses, I had a friend who got saved later on. He thought he was saved, but he wasn't, and he came to Christ later on in his marriage. He went to his wife, and he confessed the sins that he had been involved in because the Holy Spirit was on him. His buddies were saying, don't do it, you'll ruin your marriage. He said, I have to, the Holy Spirit's telling me to. She threw him out, and they're separated today. Uh, I can tell you categorically, that is not what Christ wants you to do. So if your husband comes to you and he is confessing, he has the humility and the grace of God on him to confess to you, don't you dare do that to him. I don't care how you feel about it. I don't care how repulsive it is. It is in that moment that you are the help meet that God has made you to be to help him through and get back on his feet. I'm not a woman. I know it hurts. I know that it's got to be painful to deal with something like that. But it's the only way. The men in this room who are struggling with something need their wives to understand enough to help them get out. 
you may never understand the whole thing, but it, you have to have enough to keep moving. And that's all I have to say. I, I, um, I, hope, I hope that I haven't been too hard. Um, I want, I, my prayer was that I wouldn't get in the way, that God would be able to use what I said today to help you. If you're struggling, come to me. Um, I'll be happy to talk to you um, and share with you. But if not, if you don't want to talk to me, go to Covenant Eyes. They have programs set up to help you. But the men in this church, I think, would be good to work together as well. Thank you, guys. I read this this week. Somebody was asked, when was, when was the best time? Maybe somebody, maybe somebody told me this. Maybe one of you told me. Maybe Micah told me this. When's the best time to plant uh, an apple tree? 20 years ago. Really? 20 years ago, because you'd be enjoying the fruit of the apples. When's the second best day to plant an apple tree? Today. Right? So, you know, I was thinking about this message, not really knowing what Michael was going to say, but saying, Lord, how do we end this? And this is how we're going to end this morning. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pray, we're going to dismiss, and then I'm going to ask Ann and Micah and myself, and we're going to be here at the front. And when we're dismissed, you can continue to do everything you all normally do, greet one another, do, you know, talk. But if God has put his finger on you and he is saying to you, this is the time you need to confess. This is the time you need to start. This is the day you need to plant that apple tree uh, for the struggle. You know, Mike has been talking a lot from a man's perspective and almost ignoring the fact that it's... Lots and lots of women now are caught up in pornography and caught up in lust as well. Father, thank you for this word from Micah, so real and and so true. Father, I pray this morning that you would give us the grace we need. And we do not blame you, Lord. Uh, we, we do not even say that you're holding back your grace from us. But, but Lord, we pray for you to help us. And help us, Lord, to confess our sin and to own up to our lust. Lord, uh, as Micah said, we're to do everything we can to overcome lust. And so, God, I would pray that this would be a beginning point for folks, confessing their sin, owning up to their sin. Uh, Lord, you tell us that as long as we hide our sin, there's, there's no help. Lord, but to confess our sin and bring it into the light, Lord, there, there is help there from you. So, Lord, give us grace if we need to confess this morning. And if we need to do some of the things that Micah has encouraged us to do, then uh, give us the grace to do those. So, Lord, now as, as, as Spirit, as we dismiss, would you, would you be working in people's hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please